Coming up on Chasing the Natty, last week we discussed the most impactful surprise players returning for CFF, but this week we'll be discussing the players who did decide to declare for the draft somewhat surprisingly, and we'll be talking about how that impacts us for CFF in the next year. Of course, we'll be finishing up with any notable transfers or coaching changes from this past week, and to help us with all of this, we have a brand new guest, Corey Pereira from the Back to Devi podcast and a member of Campus to Canton staff. All of this and more coming up right after this. Zappi looking to Jarrett Stearns who makes the catch and scores. What a burst! Trey Vaughn Anderson! As advertised, touchdown Buckeyes! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. If you are here to, or if you want to support us, I uh, just want to throw out there that you can do that by going over and subscribing to campusdecanton.com, where you'll find all of our written content, tools, and everything you will need for all of your CFF, C2C, and Debbie fantasy needs. Got a lot of stuff coming your way during this offseason. If you, again, if you want to support us in any way, shape, or fashion, that is the place to do it. Go subscribe over there. In addition to that, make sure you're following myself on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. I have a goal of getting to at least 2,000 followers, so let's make that happen, y'all. And then also go over and make sure that we get the at Chasing the Natty Pod account as well. Just got that up and running for this offseason. First goal we're going to try to hit is 500 followers, so a lot of you who are following me on Twitter... Make sure you go follow that account as well. Let's get that popping for this next season. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. We do have a goal of hitting 1,000 subscribers by the start of next season. So if you're listening to this on podcast and you've never really thought about seeing us in a video format, go check us out on the YouTube channel. We got some ideas of other stuff that we're going to be hitting up there. We got a great show for you guys today. We are going to be discussing some of the players that went off to the NFL draft that we were kind of expecting might come back for another year of CFF. We're going to talk about the impact that that decision has on the teams that they have left behind. And to help us out with that, we have a wonderful guest, Mr. Corey Pereira from the Back to Devi podcast and Devi head here at Campus to Canton. Corey, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Jared. You know, it's been a long time coming for us to kind of finally link up. Uh, nice to finally get together with a fellow Dogs fan as well. We're yes, celebrating sir. another another national uh, championship victory. Woo! Love, love to see it. Love to see it. We got another one coming next year, so we're going for that three-peat. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, there's a lot of things that, that, that cross between our worlds, right? When we're talking about the NFL draft and guys going to the NFL draft and me looking at these guys in CFF and trying to figure out if they have NFL potential. And production comes a lot from, from that. It's a big part of the process. So I think we have a lot of similarities in the, in the things that we discuss. So I'm looking forward to getting into some of these guys today. Yeah, absolutely. And Corey, can you just drop uh, where people can find you on Twitter and uh, anything else that you guys are working on as part of the Devi team over there? Yeah, no, you can find me at FF underscore guitarist on Twitter, constantly posting just Devi nonsense or, or whatever the heck I'm feeling that day. Um, we I have started to work on the Devi guide coming up for this season, us and our uh, Devi team here over at uh, Dev, at uh, Campus of Canton, Mike Valerie at FF underscore Dirty Mike and Mark Poust. 
Um, I can't remember what his Twitter handle is. Sorry, Post. So hopefully you don't see this. <laughs> but uh, he does great work over there. Uh, great writing over there. Um, we're working on a couple articles, senior bowl previews coming out. So we're really, we're really heading up for this offseason, really starting to focus on the draft a little bit too. I know a lot of the people love the draft content. And with that coming up, the combine's coming up. We've got Absolutely. a couple of guys going to the senior bowl as well uh, coming up next weekend. So uh, be on the lookout for some reports from that. And yeah, keep it locked on here for everything you need to know leading up to that. Yeah, absolutely. The best part about playing CFF or Devi or C2C is the fact that when draft season comes around, we actually know who these people are. Unlike yeah. a lot of the people <laughs> in the NFL who are just started watching these guys' film probably about two minutes ago. So we know about them first. We'll get you all you need to know here. Again, just a quick reminder before we get into everything, go check us out at Campus Canada. We're part of the CFF team over there. Is myself, Nate Marquise, Brandon Sanders, Chris Moxley, Chris K, Ethan Sowers, and Mr. Justice. We got podcasts, articles, rankings, CFF, ADP, and more to come. Make sure you go check all of that out. We got a pretty big show today. Again, we got three main segments we'll be hitting today. We'll be touching on some of these uh, surprise draft declarees, and then we'll be hitting up the transfer portal and the coaching changes. We got three coaching changes that we'll be talking about from this past week. But first, let's get over to these guys who went off to the draft. We got, let's see, three quarterbacks, four running backs, and three wide receivers that we'll be discussing today. So 10 players total. We're going to kind of dive into these guys who, again, were big-time CFF, a lot of them big-time CFF producers last year, thought we might get them for another year, and quite frankly, there they go. That could be for a variety of reasons, but also there are some reasons why they could possibly have come back. Again, NIL is now huge. Instead of these guys who are going off, you would think are like six, seven round picks at best, they come back for another year of school and they say, hey, let's get an NIL deal going. This could be worth much more than I can ever get in the NFL right now. So we'll see. We'll definitely talk about each of these guys here. Corey, what are your overall thoughts on why a player would want to go to the NFL, even if they're not really projected that very highly? Yeah, that, that, that part gets stuff if they're not projected really highly. I think a lot of these guys just probably want to bet on themselves too and get the NFL. It's probably a dream for a lot of these guys as when they're children to make it to the NFL. And still, you're talking about one year of NIL, which is still going to be great, still going to set you up. But even if you get to the to the NFL as a backup for three to four years, as as a, someone on the practice squad for five or six years, something like that, you're probably going to end up making more money, um, have a longer uh, good situation for yourself, be able to set up for the future a little bit better, knowing that you've got a longer career then this one year of NIL plus you know you come back that last year there's a possibility you hurt yourself even more you get injured um, you you have a bad year your stock drops down even more so I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. a coaching change maybe you didn't like um, that happens that you don't want you don't want to be a part of um, so uh, there's a lot of reasons that I think that a lot that people go to the NFL draft but uh, those are some of the ones that, that stick out to me yeah, actually, that's a really good point about the coaching changes. And that definitely will apply to at least one person I'm looking at here on my sheet in terms of why they might have gone off to the NFL rather than sticking around for another year in college. But first, let's talk about the first guy we, we have up here on the screen. No particular order. Well, actually, there is a particular order here. We're going to go quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers. And then um, I put them in order in terms of their CFF finish from this last year. So some of the names down the line might be a little bit more recognizable in terms of if you're just a regular college football listener. But this first one we'll talk about here, Jarrett Hall. Probably the quietest QB 10 season I have ever seen in CFF. Like this was a guy that, you know, some people are like, hey, Zach Wilson did well at BYU. Maybe Jaron Hall has a really good year this year. And he does. Again, QB 10, 314.74 fantasy points throughout the year. 
And but nobody was really hyping him up throughout the season. It was just like, okay, yeah, he's good. And then you just kind of kept him in your lineups, and that was kind of it. Um, threw for about a little over 3,000 passing yards this past year, 31 touchdowns, six interceptions. Got plenty on the ground with 346 yards and three touchdowns. Corey, what are your thoughts overall on Jaron Hall? Because this is one of those guys that when I think of guys where I'm like, I feel like I've not heard that much NFL draft buzz around this guy. This feels like a guy that, you know, stick around another year at BYU, probably would have made more money through an NIL deal, take BYU on a pretty good run here. What do you see your thoughts? Yeah, I think this guy maybe had a little bit more hype entering the season as well. This was a guy who uh, people thought could be a sleeper that was going to rise through the year. Maybe it was the Zach Wilson effect that we're just kind of looking for the next BYU quarterback to kind of break out. And, you know, this guy's a little bit of an older prospect as well. Um, that's something that we get from a lot of BYU players, obviously. Um, but he's probably going to be 25 years old by the time he's drafted, if he gets drafted, you know. Um, I think that his season was good. I maybe... I maybe thought there was a lack of wow moments from him. And maybe that kind of stood out for, for some things, you know, he had some pretty good games against power five competition this year, um, Oregon and Arkansas in, in particular, he had pretty good games, had some other rough ones against like Notre Dame and stuff, but again, very, very good defense. There's going to obviously be a talent difference there sometimes too. Um, he has, he has that little bit on the ground as well uh, with his legs, which I think the NFL will like, but I wouldn't necessarily call him super dynamic in, in that, in that respects either. Um, I wonder if he is going to be a little bit undersized too. You know, he's listed, at the 61205 range, which on paper is fine, but we're always worried about when they come from college and they do get measured in, are they going to be around that? And he's right at those limits, right? Usually we want to mm -hmm. see at least six foot, 200 pounds from our quarterbacks. If he comes in a little bit under that or, or close to that, it might turn some people away, you know, getting into that small territory. You know what I mean? So um, I think though, that when I look at him and I look at like his career and what he has in front of him and stuff, I think he kind of had to take his shot at this point. You know, he waits until next year. He's already going to be a, he'd be a 26 year old rookie by that time, um, which doesn't have the greatest track record at the NFL. Um, probably uh, doesn't have, he would have to have a very strong season to kind of overcome um, being that old uh, as well. So I think that he, he's taken the hype. He's going to go as far as he can with this hype, going to the NFL draft. Hopefully he gets drafted. Like we were talking about in the, in the beginning too, if he can get on an NFL roster and just be there for a couple of years, um, he's, he's still going to make a lot of money. He can still maybe get into the season. We're seeing guys like Taylor Heineke start. We're seeing guys like, like David Blau start. We're seeing Trace McSorley get into the games. Like there, there's not, there's a path for guys like him to still make it into the NFL in, in, in my opinion. But I do think he's got a long road in front of him in order to become relevant at the NFL level, especially on our fantasy teams. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good point where you talk about him coming back for another year. It's like, what what else is he going to do? Again, right. 3,000 3, yards, 31 touchdowns, six interceptions. That's a pretty solid year for any quarterback to call as their final year in college. Like, it's not like he had a, it's not like he had a red, any of his stats were like super red flags, like the next guy we'll talk about uh, after Hall. Or actually, not, I think it's actually the third quarterback we'll talk about. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, what does this leave behind at BYU, though? Well, Obviously, they need a new starting quarterback, and it looks like that's going to be Keaton Slovis coming back over to the West Coast from Pittsburgh, of which everybody on the planet says, yuck. Uh, that <laughs> feels like a massive, massive downgrade. And again, like maybe maybe Slovis really just needed to drop in competition. Again, I know BYU's in the Big 12 next year, um, but we'll see. He's got some decent weapons around him. I like Keanu Hill. I like some of the other wide receivers that they have over there at BYU. And they also are bringing in Aiden Robbins, uh, the running back from UNLV, I think he'll have plenty of help on the ground there. But in terms of what's being left behind, I don't think I'm drafting Keaton Slovis really anywhere. I think 
Corey, am I wrong here that Devi people have mostly moved on from Slovis? Uh, or is there a possibility that Slovis could make a bounce back this year? I don't know. I don't know if I'm on that. I mean, we can all go back to, you know, when he took over that that season at USC, taking over for um, JT Daniels and having the great season. And then, you know, he kind of got he had that shoulder injury in the following year. And I don't really think he's ever looked the same after that. You know, what I mean, I remember that year, I think he finished as like a top 40 quarterback in CFF. I want to say that that first year um, with USC, but never. I mean, he, he continues to go downhill. His accuracy has gone off. He seems frantic in the pocket. Um, eventually transferred to, to Pittsburgh last year. He ended up like QB 120 something after playing like the full season as well. You know, And this mm-hmm. was a system that just had Kenny Pickett go into the first round, put up massive numbers in that system as well. So I'm skeptical that we're going to see, see a huge turnaround here. You know, maybe the step down in competition can help him get back in, into those early days um you know and and BYU has produced some good quarterbacks Zach Wilson was the quarterback one like when in his year when he went Jaron Hall uh quarterback 18 or or sorry quarterback 10 this year so they had they have production there like so if you're a Keaton Slovis believer maybe you hope this is going to be something but that's not me I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you guys to draft Keaton Slovis anytime soon <laughs> yeah I think also to be a super successful CFF quarterback in BYU you need to have some kind of rushing upside because again you even see Hall here 346 yards I have yet to see that from Slovis at all. And again, Slovis finished as a QB 107 last year, which uh, is actually right ahead of Quinn Ewers. So that hurts a little bit. Oh, yeah. That um, <laughs> that's, that's a little tough. But anyway, that's uh, that's Sharon Hall and everything. We leap, leap behind the, the BYU QB situation. Nothing super exciting there. I just draft Aiden Robbins this upcoming year and you'll be happy. Yes, yes. He's, he's, he's interesting. I like him for next year. Oh, yeah. All right, next one up here, going down a little bit. Finished as a QB 13 this past year. Mr. Max Duggan threw for about 3,000 yards this past year, 29 touchdowns, three interceptions. That's during the regular season. Again, I'm only counting his regular season stats because that is what counts in CFF. On the rushing side of things, 97 attempts, 294 yards, and five touchdowns on the ground. If you include his playoff games and his Big Big 12 championship, uh, he has, again, he has produced all over the field, even higher numbers than that. Again, he finishes a QB 13 this past year, 298.8 fantasy points. This is a guy who I see, in a way, I see why he's going off to the NFL. He's coming off as a Heisman runner-up. He is t- He took TCU on an absolutely legendary year. My problem is, I think he declared for the NFL just a little too early. Or at least, I think he might have... Um, made a mistake in declaring I think he declared before the playoff games because the the last two games he had in the playoff were probably some of his worst performances that he had the entire year like yeah TCU won against Michigan but if you go back and look at Duggan's stats during that game it was not pretty that game was that game was uh in many ways had a lot of just kind of weird things happen uh, a lot of things just kind of went TCU's way that you wouldn't normally say would happen nine out of ten times in that game. Duggan was not the reason why they won that game. So it's one of those things where it's like, this feels like the ultimate NIL deal. You have Duggan, who led TCU on a magical journey. You're in Texas. You, like, There's a lot of very rich people who live in Texas. You're not telling me one of them's not a TCU fan. Come in here. Max Duggan, come back here for another year. We'll get you a seven-figure deal to come back. Try to run it back with TCU. We'll see. But he's off to the NFL Corey, what is it? What is it looking like for Max Duggan, and why do you think he might have decided to go NFL bound? 
Yeah, I guess in the long run, like you were saying, I'm not really surprised that he wanted to take this year and kind of head to the NFL draft. I mean, let's let's be honest, me and you, me and many other college fans, we've been watching Max Duggan for four years now, right? And this was easily his most productive year, easily the most success his team has had with him on it as well, a little bit in the national eye as well. So we got a little bit of hype. Um, That last game, of course, is going to leave a sour taste in people's mouth with very good defense, obviously. But I think he had to to take um, the chance while he had it. I mean, I'm, I'm not too sure what the next level holds for him i think he's kind of like if i had to make a comparison is like sam ellinger of this class right and we've at least seen him kind of hanging on to a roster even get a few starts the past two years i think they're somewhat similar right they kind of have similar builds they kind of have a little bit of rushing they're not dynamic as rushers or anything like that but they have a little bit of tough running to them um they're kind of scrappy kids very good college college players as well so i don't think it's crazy to think that he could end up on an nfl roster somewhere after the year but I'm not too confident, you know, in his abilities to be a starter at the NFL level. Yeah, no, absolutely. So again, the next question that follows obviously is what's going on here at TCU. I think part of the other reason why he might've gone off to the draft is the fact that there's several things overhauling at TCU. You have a new offensive coordinator. You have Quentin Johnson, who's expected to be a first round pick. Kendra Miller. A lot of people are expecting him to be off the board by day two. He is also gone. So you're looking at a lot of changes there at TCU. Um, So again, what does that leave behind? Well, Chandler Morris is kind of your expected next guy up. You saw that Sam Jackson, the kind of third string quarterback there at TCU, transferred out. So it definitely looks like Chandler Morris is a stranglehold on that job, unless the freshman QB from last year, his name is slipping me off the top of my head. Unless he makes a push this next coming year or if they bring somebody in through the portal, which they did try to bring in Walker Howard. Ole Miss ultimately beat beat them out there. And then they also try to make a late push for Spencer Sanders, the quarterback who is now also going to Ole Miss. So TCU took two L's to Ole Miss here in the offseason. That was a little unfortunate. But how do you see TCU shaping up at the quarterback position next year, Corey? And how, like again, how does Duggan going off impact things? Yeah, like I, I think that's a big reason you were saying. I have here too written in my notes that the turnover is a huge part. I mean, you're even losing Darius Davis, who was a big part of this offense as True. well. You're losing, you're losing both your running backs in your backfield, so it's going to be a huge change over there. You're bringing in that new OC, who we're going to get into a little bit later, um, and then. Like so, at the quarterback position, I do think this is probably going to be Chandler Morris's job. Um, I did like Sam Jackson a little bit; had some good hype last year, a little bit of a rushing dynamic threat as well. But of course, now he's gone, so we can't really think of him as an option. Um, Morris, of course, was going to be the starter entering the year till he got injured, and then Dugan took over and never really looked back. So I think that we do want to target. Uh, the quarterbacks in Sonny Dyke's offense as well. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, back in his SMU, uh, well, last year, of course, Max Dugan being a, t- being a top 10 guy, uh, Tanner Mordecai being a 10 top 15 ish guy when he was at SMU. Um, the other guy they had Shane Bukelli, or I can't, I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, he was like Bouchelle. a t- Bouchelle. Thank you. He was a top 20 guy at the position as well uh, before Mordecai. So I, I think you're definitely going to want to take a shot on whoever ends up being the guy here. And right now that's seeming like everything's pointing towards Chandler Morris. Yeah. Absolutely. Last quarterback we're going to talk about here, Mr. Anthony Richardson, the quarterback out of Florida. This past year through for about 2,500 yards, 17 touchdowns, nine interceptions, rushing 103 yards for 600, or excuse me, 103 attempts for 654 yards and nine touchdowns on the ground, finished as the QB 15 on the year, uh, 289.36 fantasy points. It definitely didn't feel like it because it was a very up and down year for Richardson, depending on the game that you were in. 
And again, the thing I really want to hold out here, 327 attempts, but only 176 completions. That is barely over 50% of his passes completed this past year. I understand that Billy Napier and his offensive system was likely holding back Richardson in many different ways. I don't think Napier really knew how to utilize Richardson well. It just feels weird that Richardson would now decide to just go off to the NFL draft, believe the hype that he is getting out of some of these draft types that are putting him in the first round. I Again, this feels like a Malik Willis situation all over again where, prop, like again, he's getting first round hype and then all of a sudden when we get to the draft, it's round two, round three when he finally comes off the board. I think that 50% completion is definitely going to haunt him a little bit. I don't know why he didn't decide... Because again, everybody sees the upside. The the draft type see the upside. The CFL community sees the upside. Why did he not transfer and try to go to a big name school that is looking for a quarterback and try to improve on a much better year in his fourth year? What do you think, Corey? What's going on here? Yeah, I think he, he certainly could have benefited from from another year in school. I mean, us here at, at Campus Canton, we, we've talked about a lot how we still think there's a lot of work to do as a passer. So um, it wouldn't have surprised me to see him return or, or, or head off to somewhere else. But I, I think I get it too. The guy has like legitimate round one hype. He's an absolute freak of an athlete. It's probably the closest thing athletically, at least that we've seen to, to Cam Newton in a while, same rocket arm, probably not the same passer or the same level of player, obviously, but that same type of upside. And I think that's what a lot of people want to look towards, you know, major rushing through on the ground. Um, he, he, he's probably going to benefit from going somewhere where, he can kind of sit like a year for a year, right? Place like Seattle, maybe he sits behind Geno Smith while he kind of learns a role. Place like Carolina, he's going to sit beside behind like Sam Darnold or, or some other capable bridge guys or something like that. But but I think the, the general aspect is that he needs some time to kind of figure out the next level. I don't even think he was there at this level. So I think he's going to need some time to kind of figure out, read defenses, adjust to the speed on the NFL level once he gets there. But when you've got a round one NFL hype and you're looking like that, I don't know if I want to come back one more year if I want to risk injury, if I want to risk another down year, changing everything, going to a different place, transferring, whole new supporting cast, whole new system to learn, everything like that. Maybe someone could have unlocked him, but maybe someone couldn't have as well. And maybe he has a, a, an even worse year that ruins his stock even more. So I I think I'm kind of fully with this in, in this case. For, for a guy who has round one hype, I think you go, you take it, you get that bag, and you try to make it work on the NFL level. Hopefully he goes to a place like with Lamar Jackson, where the where an OC can kind of adapt the offense around his abilities early on and then kind of explode a little bit more. Maybe someone like Jalen Hurts, like we're seeing with the Eagles now. It was a very uh, refined offensive system earlier. Now year two, it opens up. Year three, it opens up a little bit more. So hopefully that's kind of the path that we can kind of see for Anthony Richardson because I really do like him as an upside type prospect, but there it's, it's easy to, to realize that he has some work to do. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of what is he leaving behind at Florida? Again, some people might say, oh, he finishes a QB 15 this past year. Like, you, like I'm going to want the ne- guy next up at Florida. Guys, I'm letting you know right now, <laughs> him finishing as a QB 15 had way more to do with Anthony Richardson than it did for that off- than it did with that offensive system. Next year, your likely starter is... Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz. <laughs> so I would probably stay away from that again i don't think there's really much to discuss left at florida i i would i would be shocked if we're getting a ton of 
CFF production out of Florida next year. Again, Billy Napier's offense when he's at Louisiana never really provided a ton of CFF options. And I do like Montreal Johnson. I like Trevor Etienne. The problem is they split those carries between those guys uh, yeah. so much that it's not really going to be anybody that you super love on a week-to-week basis. So I don't think we're really leaving anything behind here at Florida that we're going to love. Your thoughts on it, Corey? No, I agree with you. Uh, it's the running backs here who are really the, m- the more interesting guys to me. Yeah, they're going to split the workload. I do like them as Devi assets, especially Etienne for what he did in his first year as a freshman. I thought that was pretty impressive for him. Um, but they are going to split the split the workload a lot. So for CFF, you're looking at two guys who you can't even you're not even sure who's going to be the guy any week or whatever. These are spot starters on your bench. And these are kind of the kind of people sometimes we call roster cloggers because you're not exactly sure when to start them or whatever, unless one like guy goes down. Right. So, so other than that, that's probably the only thing I'm really interested in Florida right now. All righty. Let's move on to some of these running backs. And first one here is our RB three on the year. And you might say, Jared, if he finishes the RB three, that means he had to have had a good enough year to more NFL draft. To which I say, yeah, kind of agree. But, of course, we're talking about Mr. Dwayne McBride, the running back out of UAB, the very explosive running back they had here. 1,713 yards on just 233 attempts. 19 touchdowns basically was the entire offense for UAB at times this year. Not much of receiving back. Two receptions for 10 yards this past year on only four targets. And like I said, finishes the RB3. 287 fantasy points. Reason why I would say I'm surprised he didn't come back for another year, or in my opinion, probably could transfer to a higher to a power five school and then try to go for the NFL is again, first of all, he's in the CUSA. I'm not sure how much the NFL values that level of competition if you're putting up these monster yards against them. And then the other part of it is you're looking at a guy who Again, the NFL is seeing more and more like you have to have a receiving ability as a running back to really be productive in the NFL. That's just the way the NFL offenses are moving here. And Dwayne McBride, it just isn't that. I would think that he would want at least one more year to kind of show off some of those receiving chops in order to kind of boost up his stock a little bit higher. Corey, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, a lot of people talk about this being a deeper running back class for the most part. And Dwayne McBride really isn't one of those guys I see people mentioning near the top. And it's like, it's probably a day three guy at best. What are your thoughts on Dwayne McBride? And what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, I mean, this is this. The one thing about this is this a G5 running back who's declaring early, which is a bit of a surprise. Um, We don't really get that very often. I I do think it might have been his best time to go. I don't think he could do any more for his stock. If he has NFL in mind, yeah, he probably could have another productive CFF season, uh, maybe transfer up to somewhere else. But in terms of like NFL stock right now at this point in his situation, I don't think he could have done anything more. Um, And and we've seen some guys go from the G5 to P5 and not have the season that they were going to be expecting. So there's always that kind of worry there. Maybe he just want to take this and run. And for what it's worth, Mel Kuyper just came out with like his NFL draft rankings. Um, Dwayne McBride is like a top five running back for him, which I was very surprised with, mm-hmm. but I think that might start the train already for hype. That's probably some of the hype that he's seen that, uh, that he wants to go to. And this, this is a nice size speed guy. Um, I was slightly disappointed when he got his chance in, tw- in, uh, in 2021. Um, so season before this, a little bit of fumbles, a little bit of inconsistency, didn't really start the season how I was hoping, but then he really took a big step forward this year, right? I think every game over 120 yards rushing, um, except against LSU, where clearly they're just outmatched across the board. There's not yeah. there's not a lot you, you can do there, you know what I mean? So so he he absolutely dominated the, uh, 
the, his competition, which is what you want to see if you're going to buy into a G5 running back, right? They better be absolutely dominating the competition. Um, the biggest issues for me are going to be the fact, like you mentioned, he's obviously a complete zero as a wide receiver or, or as a receiver out of the backfield. Yep. Five career receptions in total. Um, so, so you're not going to get nothing there. And he's got a fumbling issue. It really didn't go away this year. He had five this past year, has nine over the past two seasons. So this is a guy who you're going to be worried a little bit about that ball security. So I think that there's a chance that we're potentially looking at a two down uh, G5 running back with a fumbling issue with no receiving chop. You know what I mean? So I think that's going to turn some teams off. I, I still think it was the best time for him to test out his chance, his chances. He's, he's got the hype right now, but I'm, I'm pretty worried how he's going to translate to the next level. And if he does, I don't know if it's going to be significant enough for us to be worried about for our fantasy rosters. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that's, that's, that's the worst feeling if you're in a C to C or in a, in a Devil league where you have your guy finally go off to the draft and you're just like, but I'm not sure he's going to actually be anything yeah. at the next level. <laughs> Again, especially C to C, where like I have one of the top three college guys suddenly become an absolute nothing in the NFL. That's just yeah. that's just great. Same guy held on to him for years. Anyway, um, in terms of what he leaves behind at UAB, I think it's pretty clear where this backfield is going. Jermaine Brown Jr. is a guy that I think honestly might have come in either at the same time as McBride or has been there longer than McBride has and it looks like they're finally going to give him his chance his bowl game performance was very very McBride like they gave him well over 20 carries in that game uh, multiple touchdowns from him if he can repeat even like I don't know like I'm not asking him to do 1700 yards but if he's if he's going to get that McBride workload every single game like McBride was getting this past year he's going to be a CFF asset um so again I don't really think there's anybody else in that backfield that, that is really kind of speaking to us right now. So I, I'm not really much to talk about there. Uh, go get your Jermaine Brown shares this off season. Your thoughts, Corey? Uh, no, no, I agree with you. I was actually going to ask you if there was anybody other than Jermaine Brown that I, that I should be keeping an eye on. Cause of course, as, as Debbie, we're not always uh, so keen on the, on the depth of the, these G5 depth charts. Um, so I was going to ask you if I had, if there was any other name that I should be looking out for because Jermaine Brown is a little bit of a different player. He's smaller. He was the guy who looked to, they, they look towards to catch the ball a little bit more. So I was wondering if maybe there's a chance they, they could look elsewhere for someone who's going to be kind of like that bigger banger or something like that. But um, at the same time, I mean, I, I think you've reinforced my confidence at least to, to go and get some Jermaine Brown shares this year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the one name I would kind of throw out there as a possibility is going to be uh, Lee Witherspoon. He's kind of the guy that looks like he's stepping up as that secondary back behind Jermaine Brown. But again, you look at this bowl game performance, Jermaine Brown, 24 carries, Witherspoon, five carries. It's pretty clear who they're, pretty, who they're confident in in terms of the next man up. So... Next up, we got another G5 running back. Uh, I believe it's another one who's declared early. I can't remember yep. off the top of my head. So, again, another kind of surprise here. Keaton Mitchell, the running back out of East Carolina, 201 attempts this past year for 1,452 yards on the ground and 14 touchdowns. Also, unlike Jermaine Brown, a very good receiving threat. 38 t targets this past year for 27 receptions and 259 yards and a touchdown. Finished as the RB12 in CFF, 254.7 fantasy points. This is another guy like, like, like Dwayne McBride. Like, if you're going to have a change of scenery, I get it. I feel like I would have loved to have seen Mitchell move up to the power of five first before making this decision. I think there's a lot of teams out there, especially even big time programs 
that would have really appreciated getting themselves a nice receiving option back to add to their backfield. And we've seen at bigger time programs like Georgia, at like Alabama, like Michigan, you don't have to be the top running back to be drafted early for those programs. James Cook this past year went before Zamir White, even though Zamir White technically was getting more carries than James Cook. If you can show off your ability, people are going to find you. And I feel like Mitchell definitely could have lived up to that. Or again, stay at East Carolina another year. He is that dude for East Carolina. They're losing most of their passing attack next year, so they would really rely on a guy like Keaton Mitchell next year to perform well while they're breaking in guys like Mason Garcia and some of those receivers. Again, I was not super surprised because I heard the buzz that he was considering the NFL, but I definitely wish he would have stayed another year in college. Corey, your thoughts on Keaton Mitchell and why he might have gone off to the NFL? Yeah, obviously, early declare, that's one thing that we're always going to like here in the Debbie community, especially when you're a G5 running back. Anything to kind of help that profile get a little bit further along. So I'm happy he did, he he went now. Um, but at the same time, I, I agree with you that maybe he could have stayed, maybe could have got that NIL deal that maybe would have been a better option for him or something if he could have gone somewhere to get it. Or um, I think, like um, I, I was going to say, uh, Mike, my co-host on, on the Back to Debbie pod, he likes to call him the G5 Dev in the chain. Because he is really like a, a massive speed threat, big play threat, can catch the ball a little bit as well. Um, like you're seeing here with the stats, he's probably going to test the, in the low four threes if I were to take a guess with him. Um, and he does have a little bit of buzz for the NFL draft, but nothing that I'm like overly excited about. Right? And this class is just so deep. And we already have guys like like a chain who are, who's poor polarizing enough that we have to try to figure out how he's going to translate to the next level. I don't know how we're going to see Keaton Mitchell translate to the next level you know it kind of gives me flashbacks to um i can't remember where this guy went to college this is going to be a long time ago but a guy called dre archer who was a very undersized back um not as productive or, or, or anything as keaton mitchell but he blazed the combine like a 4.2 or something like that um got ended up ended up getting drafted in the third round to pittsburgh never made an impact on the field it's just sometimes when you're this small or sometimes when um it's like they don't make the impact that they thought they were going to make their play their play strength doesn't translate so i i think some of that is some of the things I'm worried about. I, I can't fault the guy for wanting to try to take his chances. I think next year was probably going to be a, even a thinner class for him to try to make a better option for himself. But uh, going to the P5 too, like I, I would have liked him to stay at East Carolina. I think that's where he would have done best. We've seen some of these guys going to the Power 5. Ulysses Bentley last year from, from SMU went over to Ole Miss, fell, fell down the depth chart all the way to, to nothing. You know what I mean? So we've seen some of this. We've also seen a guy like Xavier Validate who went to uh, Arizona State and blew up. So there is the chances of that too, but it's riskier. So there is risk there in trying to translate. I kind of would have liked him to stay at East Carolina, head into that 2024 draft as this speed guy, instead of everybody who's focusing on Devin to chain right now, make this guy the, the fun speed guy who everybody's going to be in love with next year. Yeah, actually, I, I, that, that was kind of something you were, I was thinking about while you're talking. It's like, it'd be one thing if you entered this draft class with a unique skill set to compare to some of the other running backs in the group as a, like as a great receiving back. Problem is, and we're going to talk about two of these guys here, there are two other really good receiving backs in this class. That, that is their sole deal. And you talk about Devin A-Chain, we'll probably go ahead and hit on over to the other one here. Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn is another guy that is a very good receiving back. And I was a little surprised by him going off to the NFL because once again... Kansas State goes to the Big 12 championship this year. They have, they have a great run. It finally looks like they're settling in a quarterback with Will Howard. They got a lot going for them next season. You would think this is another guy that 
an NIL deal would definitely be on the table for him at Kansas State. Again, I don't know what kind of collective Kansas State is putting together for NIL or anything like that. But, you know, I feel like you get one rich Kansas State fan comes in and says, hey, I want I, I want you as part of my marketing campaign. Regardless, Vaughn this past year, 293 attempts on the ground for 1,558 yards, nine touchdowns on the ground. And then again, his receiving chops, 60 targets with 42 receptions, 378 yards and three touchdowns through the air. Finished as the RB15 in CFF this past year, 243.3 fantasy points. Again, one thing that really always sticks out about Deuce Vaughn, again, is also his size. Dude is a Mm. small, small dude. This is the perfect kind of guy that you love to see in college because this is where he can thrive. This is where he's going to make his impact. But then you get to the NFL where all of a sudden, if a dude is under five foot ten, everybody and their mother just drops them off their board in a heartbeat. And I'm not even sure Deuce Vaughn gets anywhere close to that. So it feels weird why he would want to test the NFL now, especially last year. He, people are already asking, would he go off? He comes back for another year. Well, he hasn't grown any. So why go now? What do you think, Corey? Yeah, that it's true. Maybe some of it being in the national spotlight, he felt like he was going to go too. But I have big concerns for Deuce Vaughn transferring to the next level. I think his best hope at the NFL level is probably a similar role to maybe someone like Atari Cohen, who was with the Bears a little bit a while ago. Naeem Hines, who had some some okay good days with the Colts as well. You know, that kind of third down receiving back role, that high end receiving back role, possibly. I think that's his best chance at the NFL. And I'm going to be fair here because they have this mock draft database.com. This is a site that kind of lumps together um, all the industry mock drafts. It gives kind of like an approximate value on a player where a lot of these industry guys are, are valuing them right now. Yeah. They have him right now as a day two, day three type player. I think he's like at 107. So he's right on the fringe. So it's that's that's pretty surprising to me, honestly. I know he's, he's got some returnability to, as well that maybe he could, he could add to that thing, but it's kind of a new world in the NFL. You know, we even saw it with the, like the Buffalo Bills last year, spending some pretty high draft capital on James Cook. Um, uh, he is a little bit bigger, obviously. But NFL teams are kind of moving towards these committees a lot more now. They don't want to give a guy a, a heavy workload anymore because they're seeing these guys get injured a lot of the time. Uh, you split the workload between a bunch of guys. Not great for us for fantasy, but great for an NFL team because they can keep guys healthy and use guys who are specialists in these roles. You know, pass-catching specialists like Deuce Vaughn would be that they can get on the field. So maybe he ends up finding his way onto an NFL roster for a few years. Maybe he ends up a third down back or or... or a third down the depth chart, a return threat as well. But I'm pretty apprehensive about his potential like fantasy impact at the next level. Yeah. And I, I think most people would definitely kind of agree with you. And I still don't really have an answer to the question of why this year was so much better than last year in terms of yeah. him going off to the NFL. But I, I also don't think that he could like, I don't know if he could have done anything to improve it. Like maybe unless maybe he's trying to take the best in the national spotlight year. You never know what's going to happen next year. Maybe he thinks like, I'm just going to take my chance and run, but I mean, yeah, it's uh, he's definitely a guy I could have seen go either way. So again, the the next question, as we've done with all these guys, is what does it look like behind him now? And Deuce Vaughn, again, he's going off. Who does that leave behind him? Well, two main options. Kansas State just brought in Treshawn Ward, who was the really the the number two running back for Florida State this past year. And quite frankly, when you watch Treshawn Ward at Florida State, he looks like a guy who could lead a backfield. It's just they happen to have Trey Benson there, who a lot of people are really liking coming into this next upcoming year. And Ward says, well, I'm not going to beat out Benson, or at least I'm going to be stuck in the committee with him at best. 
let me go somewhere where they know how to feed a guy over and over and over again to make sure that I get as much tape out there as possible. And he lands here at Kansas State. I love Treshawn Ward going into this next upcoming year, but also they do have uh, DJ Giddens, the backup running back behind Deuce Vaughn. We saw a little bit of an extended look at him in the bowl game against Alabama when Deuce Vaughn went out for a little bit. He looked like a guy that, you know, with some offseason practice and some more reps at the number one spot, could be a guy for Kansas State. My money's definitely with Treshawn Ward. My draft capital will be also pushed towards Treshawn Ward. But Corey, your thoughts on that Kansas State backfield? No, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I'm a fan of Trey Benson as well, so I did watch quite a bit of Florida State this year. Treshawn Ward definitely popped sometimes and definitely looked like a dynamic guy who could lead and lead a backfield in college right now. Could be a, the type of guy to fill this void left by, by Deuce Vaughn as well. Like you were saying, we saw Giddens uh, do a little bit as well. I don't think that I've seen anything that really jumps out to me with, with him. Um, maybe because he's there, he's going to have his foot in the door a little bit. But I think Treshawn Ward going and grabbing him, a uh, guy who's a little bit later in his college career too, I think he, he's thinking that he's got a pretty good chance to be the guy here next year and like you i think that's where i'm going to be pushing uh, more of my chips in the draft yeah absolutely and if you follow any of the kansas state guys and everything it made it very clear that the interest between ward and kansas state was very mutual very early on the ward visiting kansas state was highly publicized it was very quick that you were seeing uh, crystal balls and everything saying that Ward's going to land here. He didn't take any other visits afterwards. I think that he's going to be heavily, heavily a part of their plan next year. And so that's our impact from Deuce Vaughn. Let's go ahead and hit up another running back here. Again, our third very good receiving running back in a row here. We're going to talk about Mr. Devin A-Chain. We've already touched on him a little bit, but this past year he finishes the RB22 in, in CFF. 196 rushing attempts for 1,102 yards, eight touchdowns on the ground, and then receiving, again, 48 targets, 36 receptions, 196 yards, and three touchdowns. One of the fastest players in college football, period, I would say. It was like, and which is all the more interesting when you put that at running back rather than a wide receiver. The very unique skill set that A-Chain's bringing here of the three receiving backs, I think everybody would kind of agree that he is the most likely to translate to the next level of those guys. But even still, A&M coming off a terrible year, it seems like they got some things kind of figured out there right at the end of the year. You get Connor Wiegman in place, Evan Stewart, and Moose Muhammad really emerge as their top receiver options. And when Devin A-Chain wasn't playing... It didn't seem like AM really had running back after him figured out. I mean, you had Amari Daniels, you had LJ Johnson there for a little bit. Um, I mean, you got uh, Le'Veon Moss there as well. You would think that there would have been trying to be some convincing to bring back A Chain, fill up that running back spot, and say, hey, let's do this one more time. Let's, get, let's put together the season that we know this talented roster can put together. But A-Chain says, no, I'm going to take my chance now in the NFL. And now A&M is kind of reeling at running back a little bit. So, Corey, first your thoughts on A-Chain, and then we'll get into the impact on A&M. Yeah, I wasn't really surprised to see him enter either. Um, I think that, you know, of course, there's a lot of turnover going there at, at Texas A&M as well. And maybe he wanted to get out of that. But there's also a lot of young talent that's coming up there, like Wegman, like like Evan Stewart. Like maybe you could have stayed there. He probably would have been a candidate for a big NIL deal as well. But to be fair to this guy, this guy is like, 
running back three to like running back seven or eight is like the latest I've seen him right now in most of the rankings that I'm looking at right now. And he honestly had like a really good season. I, I'm still not sure what his NFL role is, is going to be at the next level. Um, I don't view him as like a workhorse, um, but like we were talking about before, the NFL is moving to a lot of committees. And I think that of these three, he might even be the best runner between the tackles. Like, like he's a better runner than people give him credit for um, has, has some great uh, advanced metrics as well. Uh, uh, good numbers after contact, uh, good numbers running in between the tackles, outside the tackles. He's not a guy that just tries to look to bounce outside all the time. So he's a better runner than he gets credit for. Has a lot of versatility as a pass catcher as well. Uh, split out wide a bunch as well um, or in the lineup. So 4.2 speed probably. Um, so he's going to take it to the house on, on any touch. So this is the kind of guy that's very exciting uh, on the NFL level. I think like the best case scenario for him, if I'm picturing a case for him in the NFL, is maybe like – the type of workload that Aaron Jones gets right now for like Green Bay, where he's splitting with, with Dylan, um, not always a, a, a huge workload every week, but sometimes he gets more, sometimes he gets less. Talking about a guy who's maybe a thousand yards, 1100 yards, 1200 yards every year, maybe not going to be uh, that into that 15, 1600 yard, yard range, but there's always the downside that he's going to get pigeonholed into like a complimentary back. Um, we have a lot of history that tells us to not really put stock into NFL backs who are under that 200 pound threshold. Um, so he's going to be one of the backs, one of the more polarizing options in, in this draft, kind of going to be a high risk, high reward player, um, depending on where you take him. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, with AM, like what, what he leaves behind is a little bit of a mess right now. And that's why I, quite frankly, I get people who are in their freshman drafts ready to draft Ruben Owens very highly because again Ruben Owens very talented five-star running back coming in he's coming into a situation where again there isn't a clear next guy right now again Amari Daniels and probably I mean LJ Johnson transferred off to SMU got Le'Veon Moss there as well it but none of those guys again at least what we saw last year really strike you as okay this is the obvious next man up so we'll definitely see um, I would get your thoughts on this core, but we are getting a little long on this. So we'll probably just go ahead and move on to our first wide receiver here. And that is going to be Mr. A.T. Perry, the wide receiver out of Wake Forest. Uh, started the year off a little slow, but really got things going towards the end of the year. During the regular season, 127 targets, 81 receptions for 1,096 yards and 11 touchdowns. No rushing stats here whatsoever, but he finished as the wide receiver 12 in CFF, 199 fantasy points in total. My thoughts on this are, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Corey, but again, Wake Forest wide receivers typically aren't held in super high regard by the NFL, even ones that have produced monster numbers in the past. It's just not a system that they seem to love translating to the higher levels. And A.T. Perry, again, as much as I love him as a CFF option, nothing really struck me as like, this is this is this dude is different compared to all those other Wake Forest wide receivers that have come before him. Feels like a better option would have been either to stay at Wake Forest, get an NIL deal, keep it going there, and maybe once they see multiple years of production like that, then they might take him a little bit more seriously. Or... Do what Sam Hartman's doing. Go to a more pro-style offense. Go to Notre Dame with Sam Hartman and show that you can work in a system like that and that you can learn things like that. So those are my initial thoughts on A.T. Perry. I'm kind of surprised he didn't make a return here. What are your thoughts, Corey, on why he's going to the NFL? And then we'll get into what's going on at Wake Forest behind him. 
Yeah, I guess maybe with Hartman leaving too, uh, he wanted to see where his options were. And I wonder if maybe if he tried to approach Jordan Damon, maybe they didn't want him. I don't I don't know the real reasons behind that because I'm kind of surprised. I think a lot of people, when Hartman entered and went to Notre Dame, they were kind of putting that together that he was going to go there as well uh, or, or follow Hartman wherever he went and kind of be his wide receiver one option there. So I do find that a little bit weird. He definitely has his love out there, but he's all over the board. I mean, I've seen projections from anywhere in the second round to the sixth and seventh round. So, I mean, I, I get it with him. I don't think he's going to test as the best athlete, but he is a good, he is a good, strong possession wide receiver um, can definitely find, can definitely help a team in the NFL. I think there's maybe a similar path, like what everybody's watching the playoffs right now in the NFL right now, Isaiah Hodgins on, on New York giants, you know, a guy who maybe makes a practice squad goes for a couple teams can maybe make an impact once in a while here and there. Um, I, I think that could maybe potentially be in his cards. I think like me, uh, I am a little bit worried about his NFL projection. Uh, there's maybe some I wanted to, some more movement skills I wanted to see from coming to the next level. So yep. I'm thinking of him as like a day three guy, but I'm I'm not super high on his on his chances of getting uh, of becoming a star at the next level. Yeah, again, all the more reason for him to stay at Wake Forest, probably get a better NIL deal than he'll get in the sixth or seventh round if he does fall to that range. Obviously, again. If he, if, if he rolls the dice and, it, and he does well at the combine, he gets into that round three, round two range, obviously all power to him. Yeah. In terms of what he's leaving behind at Wake Forest, Wake Forest bring back a trio of wide receivers, man. They're bringing back Jamal Banks, who surprised at times this year. They got Donovan Green, who's finally been healthy and pr- producing. And then Taylor Moore and their slot receiver has produced pretty well for them over the years. If I am going to invest in one of them right now, it's probably... Jamal Banks, although Donovan Green, I would say it's probably the more talented receiver, but Banks is set up to take over that same exposition that A.T. Perry was playing in this past year. So I would bet on system there and them throwing to that same guy because that's probably going to be the first read option for uh, Mitch Griffiths many, many times next year. Your thoughts, Corey, on any of the Wake Forest wide receivers and who you like out of the bunch? Yeah, I think in the Debbie community, we've been talking about Donovan Green for a little bit. He flashed a little bit as a freshman, um, has had some nice return skills as well, has some really good size. Um, he just has been dealing with all the injuries, kind of faded. We've never seen him really pop in like the way that we wanted to. Is another guy that my co-host over at Back to Debbie really likes as well. So he's kind of a guy that I'm watching to maybe step up as well, um, maybe put up some, some gaudy stats as well. I didn't really know who was going to fit into this role. I'm glad that you're telling me that maybe it's Banks. That, that's maybe the guy I should be looking at more. I was kind of hoping that it was going to be Green. Um, but I mean, they are going to go through a quarterback change as well. We only saw him play one time there, Mitch Griffiths in the season opener. So that's going to be a bit of an unknown, but I do like green to take a big step forward this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, AT Perry, why didn't you come back, buddy? Let's move on to Mar- or not, not the player. I thought we we're going to talk about here. Look at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm being thrown off by my own, own, uh, show sheet here. We're going to talk about Trey Palmer. The wide receiver out of Nebraska, 109 targets this past year for 71 receptions, a little over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. Also has some rushing ability, five attempts for 75 yards, no touchdowns on the ground there, and he finished as the wide receiver 19. Obviously, Trey Palmer did not start his career at Nebraska. He started at LSU. That wide receiver room, as we have seen, is very, very crowded. And quite frankly, I spied him immediately whenever he went over to Nebraska with that Mark Whipple system over there. I I said, this is a guy that could take over that Mark Whipple wide receiver one option. And he very much produced throughout the year as that number one option for Nebraska. Again, 
But I didn't think it was necessarily enough for him to go off to the NFL again. At least my untrained eyes have only really seen him talked about as a day three guy. Never really seen him being pushed up into that day two conversation. Definitely not day one. So I figured, you know, maybe he takes a shot, comes back for another year, tries to improve his stock a little bit. I think about it a little bit more. He's probably losing his starting quarterback in Casey Thompson because I think he's losing his head coach. He is losing his offensive coordinator. He is losing his probable starting quarterback. Maybe Casey Thompson starts again. We'll see. A lot of change going on in Nebraska. Maybe Palmer says, I don't want to be a part of that. But also, I would think, like, again, it's Matt Rule coming in. It's a much better head coaching situation, I would think, for right now. Maybe you would want to be a part of it. What do you think, Corey? Why do you think he went off to the NFL? Or maybe why did he not stay at Nebraska? No, I think you nailed it with a lot of the turnover there as well. Um, that that's probably weighing on him a little bit, trying to see if he's going to have the same type of year. You know, I don't know who they're going to go with at quarterback. I think Jeff Sims just transferred there too. He's not yes, really, yeah, not really the greatest passer as well. More of a dual threat kind of guy. So maybe he was a little bit worried about that as well. Um, he is a guy that I think he's going to test really well. Has some, has some decent size to him. I personally don't expect the selection above day three as well, but I think he could maybe become a nice nice role player in the NFL with his type of speed this, a guy who's maybe reported to me be in that four, four, maybe a little bit lower range if he's lucky. So definitely a little bit of a sleeper guy. I know one of our co-founders here at C2C, Colin Decker, very big fan of him. He was saying a lot of the things you you just said as well in the preseason was a guy I bought into because of those reasons as well. So um, I, there, there obviously was a path here where I think, you know, he looks at Matt Rule. He sees that he has has had some pretty good offenses in, in college in the past. Um, maybe wants to stick with him, see if maybe he can improve on those numbers. But this was a guy who was a very high pedigree kid, um, really didn't get no playing time at that at that crowded room at LSU. I think he had a very good season. He was like, how much more than the next leading receiver? I think next next leading receiver had like 400 yards. So I mean, mm-hmm. I think he was really the kingpin of this offense. I think he's taking his hype and running, and, and I think that's that's probably the right move for a guy who has dealt with not being the guy for so many years it's like i'm i finally did it i'm getting a little bit of hype um i think he's one of the senior bowl as well if i'm not mistaken so yes. he's gonna eat so he's he's got a chance to maybe rise there maybe impress some people and talk to talk to some nfl heads over there so i kind of like him as a sleeper in this draft all right um in terms of what he's leaving behind in nebraska it's so difficult to say because again with like i mentioned earlier with all that turnover and everything we think we have an idea of what that offense is going to look like and we think there's a possibility of cff production to come from that offense problem is i don't know who is going to step up there i mean you could talk about marcus washington mm. who is still there at nebraska but he didn't really like scream next guy up compared to trey palmer last year i mean trey palmer really monopolized this wide receiver room last year um they're bringing in eric gilbert we'll talk about that in a little bit as well and i don't i don't think nebraska is done with the portal i think that matt rules really taking his time really looking through the guys who are still available in the portal I would not be surprised if they add another portal wide receiver after spring. And basically, long story short, I don't think we can really definitively say who's up next for Nebraska after Palmer. No, you. I think you nailed it for me too. I mean, I, I was going to listen to you on this one because I, I, I think that there is with Matt Rule coming into here that we do kind of want to be paying attention. So maybe it might take to take the springtime to see who's kind of flashing a little bit, who's stepping up into those roles. But yeah. I think this is really unsettled right now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Last wide receiver we're going to talk about here is Mr. Marvin Mims, a wide receiver out of Oklahoma. This dude has pretty much had hype since he was a senior in high school. I believe he broke the record for the most receiving yards by a high school wide receiver, either, I think it's in the state of Texas, and which is absolutely incredible considering some of the talent that has come out of there. He pretty much was an instant impact player for Oklahoma since his freshman year. 
in this past year, 85 receptions, a little over 1,000 yards, 7 touchdowns, um, and finishes as wide receiver 37 in CFF. A little bit of, I don't want to say disappointing here, because again, it's a 1,000-yard season for him, but at the same time, like, you were hoping with Dylan Gabriel being there, with Jeff Levy's offense and everything, he probably would have stepped up a little bit more. Got a little banged up during the year, so you can't really harm him too much on that. Um, but the thing is, again, Oklahoma, 6-6 six and six season this past year. You're kind of hoping that maybe they bring some guys back, like like Dylan Gabriel is coming back this year. Bring back some of the guys, bring back everybody, say, all right, we're going to make a run this next year. Um, we're going to really show what this program's all about. But nope, Marvin... Mims, he's like, I've been here three years. I've done my part. I'm off to the NFL here. Corey, what are your thoughts on Marvin Mims and why he decided to go off to the NFL? Yeah, I think leading up to his declaration, I think this one could have gone either way. There was a couple, you know, rumblings of him that maybe thinking about staying and stuff like that. So I think this one could have really gone either way. There was a lot of a lot of mixed signals there. Um, and like you said, they definitely could have used them. They're going to be losing their two top pass catchers this year, I believe, because I think Braden Willis also yes, went sir. to the draft and he actually went, to, he was actually second leading receiver. So um, I guess... The, there seems like there's enough hype there for for Mims to, to warrant tr- tr- uh, testing uh, the waters in the NFL draft. I've never been a huge fan of him, which is a little bit controversial uh, to some of the guys in the Debbie community. He's kind of got a weird skill set, a little bit of a smaller guy, but plays big. You know, there's a lot of contested catch situations, maybe not as agile and as quick as a guy that I, I kind of expect for a guy of his size. So I think he's going to kind of have a weird transition to the NFL. They played him outside a lot too, which I don't think was the best place for him. Um, uh, but mock draft database right now, the, the site I referred to earlier, does have him right now as a later day two selection, which is still pretty good capital for him. I think all we want in Devi um, to, to really buy into a guy is to see day two draft capital. Obviously, we, we want more than that. But if they get day two, we're happy. I think that's yep. that's where we're at right now. So um, I, I think that he has he's going to have a role in, in the NFL. I'm just I think he's more in the, the realm of a complimentary type of wide receiver. Yeah, I don't think he strikes me as a top wide receiver for any of the NFL teams. Uh, all respect to Mr. Mims and his skill set. Yeah. Um, in terms of what he leaves behind at Oklahoma, you're looking at a room that I think is probably not as talented as you've probably seen in the past couple of years, at least in terms of like what we've been used to with Lincoln Riley running the show. Marvin Mims, Braden Willis, you just mentioned, they're two top options. They go off to the draft. That really leaves behind uh, Jaleel Farouk. And Drake Stoops is their next two top receivers. I imagine that both of them are sitting there as starting wide receivers for Oklahoma next year. Theo Weiss, the guy behind them, he is off to Missouri. He entered the transfer portal. I can see Farouk as being the top option here, but I am interested in Andrew Anthony, the wide receiver from Michigan that they just brought in. Andrew Anthony in only his second game in college uh, from Michigan against Michigan State Six receptions, 155 yards, and two touchdowns. So we see that there's upside there. The problem is every game after that that he did record a catch in, he had one catch. And then this past year, in 2022, he had only seven receptions for 80 yards and a touchdown. So like clearly something happened there. But who knows? Maybe a change of scenery here. I think that there's a possibility that, again, with the speed skill set that he kind of brings to the table, provides a deep threat for Oklahoma. I'm a little bit interested. Again, probably will invest more in Farouk, but I'm just throwing Angel Anthony out there as a potential. The last two receivers that they brought in as uh, as transfers, LV Bunkley Shelton and JJ Hester, neither one of them really worked out this year. <laughs> so yeah. I don't I don't really believe in them this upcoming year. Any quick thoughts you have on it, Corey? 
No, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Andrew Anthony. Very interesting guy who did have that big game for Michigan. I was always looking for a little bit more from him after that. Never really ended up showing more, um, unfortunately. But like like we're saying, this is a very highly potent offense. Like top 35 option in points per game this year. Um, top 45 in terms of passing yards per game. And that's even with Gabriel going down where they couldn't even throw the ball for like a game there. Uh, they had like Air, Air Gray throwing interceptions and Brain Willis doing the Wildcats. So um, they definitely have a very potent offense for somebody to step up. He's a lot of young guys Jalil Farouk a lot of guys are in uh in love with I also still like Jaden Gibson a little bit I'm not ready to to, to say goodbye on him uh just yet I know he no didn't do call. nothing this year yeah but he, he had the great spring game last year where he flashed big play threat tall speedy guy so I'm, I'm still thinking about him a little bit as well as potentially a guy who could go to the outside because I think we're looking at you know right now at least I, I project you got Jalil Farouk on one side probably stoops in the slot for right now and then Gibson maybe could be another outside presence for them so uh, I'm kind of looking a little bit at that maybe it's going to be Andrew Anthony as well, but I think that's the one open spot there for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure the moment that I get a DM from Nate Marquise on how wrong I got this wide receiver for Oklahoma, I will send out a tweet to each and every one of you talking about who you really should be investing in for this next upcoming year. All righty. So those are our like 10 surprise draft declarees. Again, just running through them again. Uh, Max Duggan, Anthony Richardson, Jaron Hall, Keaton Mitchell, Dwayne McBride, Deuce Vaughn, Devin A. Chain, A.T. Perry, Marvin Mims, and Trey Palmer. Again, Corey providing us great reasons on why they would go off to the NFL and what they're kind of looking like there. And then we also discussed what they're leaving behind and what like what possibly we could see for this next upcoming year. Because again, last week, it's easy in CFF when you have guys returned and you know pretty much what to expect out of them. But it's a little bit harder when big, t- big shot guys go off to the NFL and you're like, alrighty, who's going to replace what they do? And a lot of times the hard answer is there's probably not going to be somebody who can replace what they do. But we discussed that a little bit. But for now... Let's move on to these transfer portal guys. Don't worry, Corey. We'll get through these a little bit quicker than we did the draft. <laughs> I, like to, I like to talk a lot too, man. I'm sorry. No, hey, <laughs> no, no problem. But again, we're going to take these again, just like last week, we're going to take these five at a time. And we're actually going to combine wide receiver uh, running backs and quarterbacks together this week. Uh, Cause again, transfer portal is slowing down. The deadline to enter for this period has passed except for grad students. Uh, but any undergrad people who haven't graduated yet, um, they will. Uh, they cannot enter the portal at this time. So we're mostly talking about guys that either entered at the last minute or are now finding their landing spots. So let's go ahead and hit up these quarterbacks and running backs. First of all, Jake Garcia, the backup quarterback out of Miami, he is heading over to Missouri. And then you also have Ole Miss bringing in two quarterbacks, one of them being the five-star quarterback, Walker Howard from LSU. And the other one is multiple-year starter, Spencer Sanders, quarterback out of Oklahoma State. That Ole Miss quarterback room seems a lot more interesting all of a sudden. I'm also going to throw him in here because this just happened and I have not had time to add him to the graphic. Um, Mike Wright, the dual-threat quarterback out of Vanderbilt, he is landing at Mississippi State, which... Um, I hate that. Um, (laughs) And then two running backs here. Kai Thomas, the former Kansas running back. Before that, he was the Minnesota running back. He has headed over to Kent State. And then you have Mr. Naquan Wright, the running back out of Florida, who kind of flashed for them at times right before Napier got there, kind of fell off after Napier brought in his own guys. He is headed to the University of South Florida. So, Corey... I'll let you get started here. Any of these guys kind of stand out to you as guys you just have to talk about? 
Yeah, I think the main thing here with me is the two guys going to Ole Miss and Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard. I think I think it's less about them and it's more about the picture that it's painted for Jackson Dart over there, a guy that we were very excited for coming into last year. Um, a guy that I've recently dove into because I, you know, I was watching uh, some Zach Evans trying to fi- finalize my film grains for the, for the rookie season coming up and watching the all 22 of Jackson Dart. Like this guy, like it's just the mechanics are all off. He's not stepping into his throws. Um he's rushing in the past without even like rush without even pressure in his face. It gave me some ugly comparisons to a guy we know very well. And that's JT Daniels, another guy who's a a lot of arm talent, uh, but his footwork is always a little messy. He's going on to his fourth team now. And and I think he's heading over to rice now. And I'm just honestly worried that that's what we're going to see for dark. I wonder if Spencer Sanders coming in with his last, last year of eligibility now why would you come to a year why would you come to a place want to play back up to somebody there had to be something there that they told him that he was going to have a pretty good chance of potentially being the starter for this year um i i think he, he's a, he's a fine player in his own right this was a guy who was like quarterback one in september if i'm mis- if i'm not mistaken before he hurt his, his shoulders something like that yeah. um so he's he, he definitely got some skills as well um but i i just think overall from from this you know i think walker howard is probably still a move for the future very young kid five-star kid um has looked a little shaky in some of his appearances i still think he's a move for the future but the fact is they're bringing in a lot of competition here and if you're a jackson dart believer i think you got to be reevaluating this situation yeah absolutely and you're right uh through the first three weeks spencer sanders was a qb1 got back up to qb5 but then it kind of dropped off towards the end of the season when he got hurt again obviously uh very very productive quarterback and could be a ton of fun in that old miss system i think that there's a very likely chance that we see dart transfer after the spring because i i there's no way you bring in two quarterbacks like this if you are happy with who you have as your starter now, granted, they also lost Luke Altmaier and Dalton Kincaid. Uh, they're two backup quarterbacks to the portal as well. So, again, Walker Howard, I was willing to say, okay, that's some really good depth that Ole Miss is bringing in. And then now you bring in Spencer Sanders. I'm like, okay, there's something really wrong with Dart here. I'll throw this one out here. So, Kai Thomas, the running back that I have here going from Kansas to Kent State. Corey, I will ask you, do you know who the new head coach of Kent State is? Oh, you know what? I don't know. I, all I know... I, I do. I did have his name written down. I don't remember who his name is, but I do know that the running back coach also just got promoted to offensive coordinator, which is also going to be very good for Kai Thomas in this situation. Yes, absolutely. And the head coach of the Kent State Golden Flashes right now is a man by the name of Kenny Burns. He was previously the running backs coach at Minnesota, which is where Kai Thomas started his career. Oh, very So nice. a very good relationship here. Kent State looking for a new running back after Marquez Cooper heads out into the portal. I do like Brian Bradford, the backup running back that they kind of had there as like really their only legitimate option at running back after Marquez Cooper left and Xavier Williams is run out of eligibility as well. I really like the landing spot there for Kai Thomas. I think that could be a ton of fun and a great little sleeper for you guys leading into the season. So... Those are our quarterbacks and wide receivers in the transfer portal. We're going to move over to solely wide receivers and one tight end here. So we'll get right to that. First set of them we have here. First of all, we have Mr. Adonai Mitchell, also known as A.D. Mitchell, the wide receiver out of Georgia. He is headed over to Texas. You have Dante Cephas, the wide receiver out of Kent State, finally finding a landing spot. He is going to Penn State. Kyle Ford, the wide receiver at a USC, he is landing across town, actually across town this time. Last time I said across town from USC to California, uh, I was told 
that that is not across town. In fact, that is uh, like seven hours driving from USC to California, Berkeley. So, but this is actually across town, USC to USA or UCLA. Good Lord. In addition, Tyron Smith, the wide receiver out of UTEP, a very good CFF option this past year. Speedy guy in that system. He has entered the portal, has not found a landing spot yet. One of those guys that entered at the last minute. And then Tyrone Broden, the wide receiver out of Bowling Green. He is headed, massive wide receiver, by the way, like six foot seven. He is headed over yeah. to Arkansas. So, Corey, out of these five guys, anybody stands out to you as guys that you just feel like you have to talk about? Yeah, and this isn't the guy I want to talk about, but Tyron Rowan, I, I watched him a little bit even before this, man. That guy is huge. He's a Massive. he's a big guy, yeah. And I wonder, too, if Arkansas, you know, like they did with Trey Knox, I don't know if they have any kind of ideas for him, if he could potentially become that there, if he doesn't work out as wide receiver or something, but maybe something to keep an eye on. But if for Debbie purposes, the thing that I'm always looking at, I like guys going to the G5, right? And I think my favorite right now is Dante Cephas coming over from, from Kent State, going over to Penn State. And the reason that I kind of like this one a little bit is I see a little bit of Jahan Dotson in, in Dante Cephas, right? We're talking about okay. a similar build, similar play style. Um, I know one of our, our founders here, Colin Decker, who's pretty close to, to the Penn State program, says that he was told that Penn State has told him he's got a shot to be the wide receiver one here. So if we're working under that assumption, I, I honestly think that he can be pretty productive here. Um, I know last year they spread the ball around a lot to no one, and no one really stood out you got parker washington leaving now uh mitchell tinsley i think is gone as well i think he just played in, in an all-star game heading over to the nfl draft as well yes, sir. um so so this this room is wide open right now and I, if cephas takes that type of role I, it could honestly push him into like top 15 type production you've also got a guy in drew aller coming uh taking over a very high ranking quarterback prospect who's probably they might end up trusting him to throw a little bit more than they did sean clifford i don't know <laughs> but we'll hopefully see. yeah hopefully that's the case uh, this is a guy that a lot of us are very high on in the debbie community so i think it's a very fun fit i think obviously you know you still got singleton and and um and katron allen there the always going to be a very run heavy team, but I think this is a very interesting fit for Dante Cephas. And I think if everything breaks right for him, he could really do a lot for his stock here. Yeah. I guess I'm contractually obligated to talk about the Georgia player involved on this page. And that is Mr. <laughs> Adonai Mitchell, uh, obviously injured for most of this past year. Uh, as they said, multiple times throughout the broadcast of the peach bowl, he hadn't had a catch it since week three of the season. Before that point, and then he catches two touchdowns in both or two touchdowns between the Peach Bowl and the national championship. Obviously, if you're a Georgia fan, he is like responsible for two of the biggest moments in modern program history the touchdown against Alabama and the touchdown against Ohio State to pull ahead in both of those games. So the question really becomes like, why would he want to leave Georgia? Well, again, there's some family reasons. He has a uh, he has a daughter in Texas. He wants to be closer to his family. Um, some recent tragedies at Georgia have kind of had some guys reevaluate where they want to be uh, with some of their relationships. You know, life life's too short, all of that. Um, and then the other part of it is like, again, you go to Texas, they have a really good NIL program and he's going to get paid very handsomely. The, 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 I don't know if I believe all of the massive numbers that are rumored about with A.D. Mitchell, but I also know that Texas has absolutely been interested in A.D. Mitchell for a while now. They have been, they have been uh, pulling him over there for quite a bit and... I think he will be one of their starters at wide receiver next year. If you're an Isaiah Nayor fan, this definitely has to hurt a little bit. But I think it's going to be either it's going to be Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy next year. And between those two, I got some flack for this in the CFF chat. But again, I'd rather have Adonai Mitchell at cost 
this next up, upcoming year than I would Xavier Worthy. I think Xavier Worthy is a little bit on, I, again, a little bit on hot coals, a little bit in terms of that clear number one guy for Texas. I think a lot of his production this past year came from the fact that he was basically the only legitimate, healthy wide receiver that Texas had for a good chunk of their season outside of, you know, Jatavian Sanders. But again, he's a tight end. So I think with a little bit of competition next year and the skill set that Adonai Mitchell has as an ex-wide receiver for a big-time program, I wouldn't be surprised if Adonai Mitchell, if not produces better than his cost for uh, draft capital this year, might just outproduce Xavier Worthy regardless. So I'm again, I could see both of them having really good years, but I think I'd rather have Adonai Mitchell than I would Worthy this next upcoming year. Yeah, and there is some worry out there right now. It looks like it's it's calming down a little bit. That Xavier where they could be on the way out too. I mean, there's True. been USC rumors. There's been other kind of rumors. So, I mean, you, if you're drafting now, if you're one of those really crazy early drafters in C2C starting to get your hands on startups, like AD Mitchell might be. Yeah, exactly. AD Mitchell might be a crazy value right now and could potentially walk into a wide receiver one role if you, if everything breaks right for him. Yeah, absolutely. Let's hit up these next set of wide receivers and tight end. Uh, Malik McLean, uh, Dante Cephas was not the only wide receiver Penn State picked up this past week. Malik McLean, the four-star wide receiver out of Florida State. Two years there, didn't really do much. Going to get a fresh start at Penn State. We'll see what happens there. Corey Gamage, the wide receiver out of Marshall. Ignore the graphic. Uh, wide receiver Marshall, he goes into the portal, has not found a landing spot yet. His tweet included an ATM emoji in the middle of it, so that tells me he's probably looking for an NIL <laughs> deal, which I say, sir... You're a leading wide receiver for Marshall. Uh, let's let's see how that goes. Um, Trey Cleveland, the wide receiver out of Texas Tech, flashed for them a couple of times this year. Uh, he's headed over to North Texas, the mean green. This guy just loves teams with a color in the name of their mascot. <laughs> but we'll see how he goes with Eric Morris over there. I'm not going to guarantee he's a starting wide receiver for North Texas. I have no clue what that North Texas wide receiver room is going to shake out like. Dominic Blaylock, the wide receiver out of Georgia, uh, came into the same class as George Pickens. Flash, uh, freshman year with George Pickens. Two ACL tears in a row. Kind of kept him from being as explosive as he was his freshman year. But rumor is he is headed over to Georgia Tech following Buster Faulkner, who's expected to run a similar offensive system to Todd Munkin. And quite frankly, again, looking at what Georgia Tech has on their roster, Blaylock probably is the most talented wide receiver day one there. I'm not saying go and draft him for CFF, but like keep him in the back of your mind. And then last but not least, we have one more Georgia player here, Eric Gilbert, the tight end out of Georgia. A lot of hype coming into the season, looked really good in the spring game. Things just didn't work out throughout the regular season. Uh, some personal problems going on there. He is now at his third stop. He's going over to Matt Rule in Nebraska. I want to say, guys, I want to say believe in him, but I'm just going to say don't at this point. It, like you, he, he needs to show he needs to show that he can do it. You need to see it to believe it. Corey, your thoughts on any of these guys that you really just want to talk about? Yeah, no, I, I think this is the list that I'm like not, not super in love with, obviously, right? We're talking about a lot of G5 guys here, not really my specialty as a Debbie guy. Um, I, I thought Corey Gammage was kind of interesting, a guy, you know, like we were saying, was leading Marshall, had some interest from Power 5 schools when he was a recruit as well. You know, I don't I don't know what ended up happening there. Maybe they weren't as interested as as it leads on, because I know a lot of those interests are actually reported by the player, Um, so maybe they weren't True. as strong as, as they were saying, but I know like Iowa State was, was one of the places I think you'd be 
really interesting over there. They're probably looking for a few more options over there. Maybe if he can bump up, he's clearly looking for a bump up in competition with that bag uh, uh, tweet. So maybe he, he's someone who's kind of interesting. Um, the one guy that I would like probably talk about here, that's probably more my realm is Eric Gilbert. You know, I think just it, it's tough for this guy. The wheels just kind of continue to turn for this guy. We know the upside, one of the highest ranked tight end recruits uh, in recent history, um, super athletic, had a, had a pretty good freshman season for LSU as well. He's just, he's kind of hit rock bottom. There's been plenty of rumors out there, uh, some personal stuff off the field that's been affecting him. There's been some academic rumors that, that have been, that have been following around him. I'm not going to speculate on any of that. I'm not sure what's going on behind the scenes with the guy. Um, I just know that he has a ton of upside if he can get his head on right, you you know, it's just a matter of if we can see that happen for him now. You know, he's going to head over to Nebraska with Matt Rule over there. Um, I'm sure Rule will bring a little bit more firepower to this offense. But there is the fact that, like, every stop we've seen Matt Rule, he's never featured a tight end. So I don't know if there is some, you know, there is some experience there for Gilbert at wide receiver. They played with him a little bit like that. They, talk, they were even talking about at Georgia, maybe putting him out wide as a wide receiver as well. So I don't know if that's in the cards for him, possibly. I wouldn't love that for his NFL transition. Still think he's a tight end there. But I just hope that he can figure it out here, man. Cause there's a lot of upside here, but it's tough to buy in at, at any type of cost, unless it's like a last round type thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go ahead and get over to these coaching changes. we got three of them to get through real quick. Um, we'll just hop right into the first one here. Kendall Bryles, the offensive coordinator from Arkansas has been hired to replace um, Garrett Riley at TCU as their offensive coordinator. I think that this is, I don't want to say a downgrade because I think I think more more than anything, Sonny Dykes is going to keep his hands on that offense as much as he can. But Kendall Bryles has shown to have productive CFF offenses in the past. We saw it just this last year at KJ Jefferson, where he was able to let him throw for almost three thousand yards, but also run for six hundred yards. Uh, KJ Jefferson finished as the uh, wide or QB twenty four, excuse me twenty six on the year and then Raheem Sanders as well a monster monster season from him this past year um I think that you're looking at Raheem Sanders having a very or, or excuse me try this again I think you're gonna see Kendall Bryles run a very similar system here Chandler Morris has some dual threat ability probably not as good as KJ Jefferson but even so I don't think this is a hire that you're gonna see a ton of shift in offensive philosophy here. I think pretty much what we got out of last year, you should expect this year. The bigger question is just the ability of the players like Zach, Ev or not Zach Evans. What is um, Trey Sanders coming in at running back? Some of the wide receivers are bringing in like Jojo Earl. Um, we'll, we'll see, but I don't think you should, you shouldn't be questioning the hire of the offensive coordinator in terms of CFF production here. Corey, your thoughts. No, it doesn't seem like there should be really big of a change. Maybe more of a, I mean, kind of goes with being at Arkansas as well, but maybe more of a rushing emphasis uh, from Kendall Bryles. I mean, with, with, with having KJJ and having Raheem Sanders and some of the other guys that in the past, that that makes a little bit of sense. But also it could make sense for TCU with the team going through a lot of transition, a lot of new wide receivers there right now, a new quarterback at the helm. You know, I know he was, he's been there for a while, but he'll still be a new quarterback playing with a new OC. So maybe they might rely on the ground game a little more. Maybe Trey Sanders can kind of bust out a little bit. I think is money Bailey still there. I think he's still there too, right? He so. is still there. Yeah, so it could be one of those two guys. I'm not a huge fan of Sanders after his injury. He hasn't really looked like the same guy ever since that kind of injury. But I really do think that the, the value here is going to be in, in the running game. It's just kind of figuring out who the hell that's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and move on to our third coaching hire here, or excuse me, your second coaching hire. Good Lord. 
Um, Dan, you know, somebody has to replace Kendall Bryles at off at Arkansas and Sam Pittman wasted no time in getting Dan Enos, a former offensive coordinator from back in 2015 to 2017. He is coming over from Maryland this past year. Here's what I saw when I saw Dan Enos's offenses from the past. Or first of all, when he first was at Arkansas and what he did over the last two years at Maryland. One. He has productive CFF quarterbacks. He had his first two years at Arkansas. He had two guys, or he had, um, yeah, two guys who both threw for over 3,400 yards, both of which, um, both of which had over 25 touchdowns. And he also had a very, very, very productive running back. Uh, two two years in a row at Arkansas, he was able to get one, uh, both of them over, or one over 1,500 yards, the other one over 1,200 yards. Uh, that would be Alex Collins for any of you who remember that back in 2015. 20, 20 touchdowns, just an absolute monster running game they had going on there. But also, again, a very effective passing game as well. One of the best offenses in the country that year. Fell off a little bit. 2017 Arkansas and 2019 Miami, just not very good years all around. Came back to Maryland and kind of brought up some of these some of these patterns again. Really productive passing passing attack while also kind of settling in on a main running back. Not as productive in the run game as he was at Arkansas. I think having a better O-line helped him at Arkansas with that. But again, there was a clear number one guy in both of his years at Maryland. We saw this this past year in Roman Hemby who had a really good year. And then the thing that also stuck out to me with all of his offenses is he spread the ball around a ton. There was never really a wide receiver that was the true number one guy throughout the entirety of the season. So I think you're going to see much of the same here with him going to Arkansas. And it basically means wheels up for KJ Jefferson, wheels up for Raheem Sanders. You don't have to worry about either of those guys. I wouldn't chase around the wide receiver options too much, especially with who they're bringing in. I like Andrew Armstrong. I like Tyron Broden. I don't think either one of them are going to be super awesome CFF options this year. Corey, your thoughts on Dan Enos to Arkansas. No, you pretty much nailed a bunch of a bunch of all the topics that I was going to hit, hit on here as well. I really do think that they're probably going to go a little bit more run heavy, which they always a little bit are anyways. But with all the wide receiver turnover, all the options in the, in uh, in that department, I don't think that they're going to be relying on that very much. I will say that when I was looking at like Enos's uh, kind of background as well, it, there's an ugly trend here of of his offense is regressing every year that he's there, right? You're looking at Arkansas when he was there for the three years before dropped every year he was there. Then he was at Maryland uh, to had a great year there. He had Dante Dimas headed for a big season there before he had the injury. And then last year still kind of took a step back again, never could really figure out how to lo- unlock Raheem Jared in that offense either. A guy that the Debbie community has been really high on former five-star guy that we never really got to see be a part of the offense that we like we wanted to. So I'm a little bit worried about him as an OC. I don't know if he's, if he's a very strong candidate, but, I think for what he's walking into right now bodes well for his for his skill set as an offensive coordinator. The good news is this is his first year. So whatever exactly. we get yeah. this year is going to be the best we're going to get over the next three years. Yeah. So all your KJ Jefferson, all your Raheem Sanders picks, you're going to love them this year probably. Last but not least, this isn't really much of a coaching change, but it is a change in role. So we should talk about it. And it is pretty impactful for some of the top CFF guys this year. Brian Hartline, the wide receivers coach at Ohio State, has been promoted to offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Kevin Wilson has been hired away as the head coach at Tulsa. But even then, Wilson was never really the one to call plays for Ohio State. It was always Ryan Day. But Ryan Day is giving up play, giving up play calling duty for this season. 
And that means it falls down to Brian Hartline, a guy that we've never seen call plays before. Now, I have to imagine Day is definitely still going to have his hands in this offense. He's definitely going to probably overrule some play calls if he thinks they're terrible or anything like that. But it does kind of add a little bit of a wild card to a productive CFF system over the past couple of years. Again, am I overanalyzing a little bit? Probably, but I do think it's something we need to consider. What are your thoughts, Corey? Yeah, and I consider some of that too. And you can consider a new quarterback coming in as well. Like, who, are they going to trust him to do all the things that he wants? You know, you got the returning health of Travion Henderson probably like next year as well. And the emergence of Dallin Hayden and, and Mayan Williams is still returning next year. So could they be a more run-oriented team uh, in the next year? You know, and they they were already pretty pretty even, you know, neutral situations last year, just a 52% pass rate in those situations. So they were kind of even. Maybe they go towards more running or whatever if they don't like what they're seeing from their quarterbacks. Still kind of up in the air who that's going to be either McCord or Devin Brown. So um, like it's you were saying McCord. Yeah. It might, yeah. We'll, we'll see. Who's it's good to be. <laughs> um, uh, like you were saying though, I think uh, Ryan day is going to have a big in, uh, um, effect on this offense as well, regardless of who the OC is. I think you had, you know what we've seen what Brian Hartline has done with these wide receivers over yeah. the past few years. I think if you wanted to keep him around, you had to give him a promotion or else you were going to risk losing the guy. So bumping him up here was a good, good thing anyways, but he's been under this guy now and he's been under this system. So I think everything we're going to see is probably going to be more of a continuation of that. Just maybe a little bit regressed in the first year as they adjust to the new quarterback and the new OC and everything else. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, you talk to some Ohio fans, Ohio State fans, it's pretty funny because it's like, wait a minute, Hartline's the offensive coordinator. Does that mean he can recruit the whole offense now? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. He's a hell of a recruiter, man. The oh, wide receivers yeah, they've had there the past few years, my goodness. I mean, and these guys are are, are already reaching stardom on the NFL level their first years. You know, Olave yeah. and Wilson are doing crazy. Like, Wilson's a first-round pick. I mean, yeah, it's amazing what, he, what he's done over there. Yeah, absolutely. Again, definitely one of the best well, again, I, I would say formerly one of the best position coaches in the entire country. Obviously, he is now have an opportunity to do something bigger here. All right, Corey, that brings us pretty much to the end of our show here. Dude, you have been absolutely awesome. Again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for helping us talk through some of these guys, why they would go off to the NFL, and also talk through what's going on back home here in college land in terms of what these rooms that they're leaving look like behind them. So... Again, just let everybody know once again where they can find you on Twitter as well as what kind of stuff you guys are working on for the Devi community. Yeah, so you can find me again at FF underscore guitarist. Follow me for all your Devi nonsense, C2C nonsense, college, even some NFL stuff I'll throw in there once in a while. And and make sure you're keeping it locked to Campus Can for honestly everything you guys need. I mean, we're talking about recruiting. We've got a new recruiting uh, uh, Twitter that just went up. We're releasing. Yes, these guys are these guys are breaking the mold, really, with with some of the metrics they're putting out, uh, the velocity they're recording on these quarterbacks from the from the film, the, the miles per hour. I'm a little bit uh, in, into uh, some of those freshmen as well. Um, we're starting to work on the Devi guide, which I'm sure you guys are starting work on the cff guide as well yes, uh so we got those guides coming out for you guys right away and everything leading up to the draft i mean we're gonna have our hands deep in all this stuff we're gonna have live shows for you guys we're gonna have uh mock drafts coming out for you guys big boards coming out for you guys so everything you guys want to see leading up to the draft keep it here locked on uh the campus canton channel and uh, the campus canton podcast network yeah absolutely Corey. i really couldn't have said it any better myself so i'm just gonna skip all of the campus canton stuff because again you guys know by this point with how many times we've said it, go check out everything we have on that website and everything that we produce for you guys because it's all golden content for you guys. Y'all keep it here with Campus or with uh, Chase and the Natty. We are keeping it going throughout the entire offseason. We do not take a break outside of me taking a vacation for a couple of weeks there in December. 
we're going to keep it going the rest of the season. Again, we got the awesome way too early CFF mock draft special that will be coming out on the 30th. I got 12 CFF experts involved with that. You're going to be hearing from each and every one of them about the teams that they drafted, how they feel about this year's pool of players. You're not going to want to miss that. And then the week afterwards, we're going to go through it round by round with Nate Marquise. He is going to come back to us. Uh, I know he's everybody's favorite, so we're definitely going to be excited about that. With all that being said, again, CFF, we don't stop around here. We are going to keep it going, and we'll see you guys next time. Really appreciate y'all, and have a wonderful and blessed day.